Hello, welcome to the New Stack Context, a podcast where we review the week's hottest news in cloud native technologies and look ahead to topics we expect will gain more attention in coming weeks. Late last month, Rancher Labs donated its popular K3s Kubernetes distribution to the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. This stripped down version of Kubernetes has been a quiet hit among cloud native users, providing a simpler interface of Kubernetes that is valued among both developers and maintainers of edge computing deployments. So as our guest this week, we've invited Rancher co-founder Darren Shepard to discuss what Rancher is seeing in the cloud native ecosystem. So welcome to the show today, Darren. Good to have you here. Oh, hi, thanks. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm always excited to to talk about K3S and The Edge and all the fun things we're doing. Also joining us today is Job Jackson, Managing Editor, and Richard McManus, Senior Editor at The New Stack, and I'm Libby Clark, Editorial and Marketing Director. So Rancher is in the process of being acquired by SUSE, and because the deal is still pending, Darren can't talk about that, but he can talk about K3S as well as Kubernetes. So we're going to start there. Actually, we're, what we're going to start with is way back at the beginning, which is how did Rancher get started? What was the need in the marketplace at that time? So there were there was four co-founders to Rancher, and and all four of us worked in the kind of the open source IaaS space. That was OpenStack, CloudStack. And so kind of the, the need in the market was really just kind of a follow-on from that of like, you know, it wasn't, OpenStack wasn't the biggest success. There was still a huge demand for hybrid cloud and people are still moving to the cloud and it was very difficult. And so Cooper, or Docker came on the scene. And um, as soon as, you know, I saw Docker, we started playing with that and looking at that. So many things just clicked for us that it was like, this is really the technology that's going to be able to deliver on, you know, what we were trying to do really the last, you know, three or four years before that with OpenStack. And so that's really where, you know, Rancher got started was just kind of solving issue, you know, solving those issues of just delivering applications to the cloud. Right. And how about K3S? How did that project get started? So K3S was actually born out of another project we were doing, Rio. So we were trying to address, you know, making Kubernetes easier for more of the developer and in the process, we're like, well, we need a really easy way to spin up Kubernetes. And so we created, you know, kind of this one-off little thing to launch Kubernetes in a very easy way. And then what we figured out was that it was really kind of the best way. It was like we kept kind of falling back to it. It's like, this is the easiest way that we could run Kubernetes. So we spun it out into a separate project and kind of, you know, I just kind of tested it out there, uh, you know, kind of like with like my Twitter followers and whatnot of, of like, hey, would anyone be interested? And basically kind of pitched it like, you know, something as simple as Docker Swarm, but all the power of Kubernetes, just really easy. And there seemed to be a lot of interest. And this coincided with, we were already getting a lot of people coming to Rancher saying, hey, we want to run Kubernetes on the edge, which to be perfectly honest, I thought was silly. Like Kubernetes was too big and fat, complicated to run on the edge. So, you know, these two things kind of coincided. And then we kind of realized hey, people are looking for something easier and there seems to be this big demand or need to put Kubernetes on the edge. And so, you know, we ended up launching K3S project. Um, yeah, and then, you know, kind of went from there. 
Yes, and it's just um, uh, recently been donated to the CNCF. So what was the reasoning behind that? Well, I mean, so the, the traction and uptake of K3S has been just so much more than we could have just possibly imagined. So it's like really taken off. And so it was very, it's kind of just a natural evolution we, we see is that we want to get more, you know, kind of more of the ecosystem involved in contributing and using and building on K3S as kind of like the fundamental base for the, you know, the edge, the the, the areas that we're targeting for, for K3S. So we were, we had already kind of been approached by a lot of different kind of players in the ecosystem of wanting to be able to contribute to K3S. And it just made sense. It's like, why don't we just move it to a foundation? We can make this vendor neutral. There's no reason for this to be a Rancher Labs project specifically. So it just seemed very natural to us. And we're really excited that, you know, we've gone through that process and it's it's been accepted. It's a Zandbox project. Terrific, terrific. Now, I've read that uh, you guys are pretty adamant that K3S is not a fork of Kubernetes. Uh, I was wondering if you could break it down in a little bit more detail uh, what is how is K3S different than Kubernetes, and what jobs can Kubernetes do that you wouldn't use K3S for, and maybe perhaps vice versa too? Yeah, you know, and so this is an important point because, like, when we first announced K3S, when we kind of it first kind of popped up in the open source world, we had heavily, heavily, heavily modified Kubernetes, but we very quickly saw that that was not the right approach because, as I said, we had done it kind of more from an application perspective, but then we saw the general applicability and edge. And it's like, no, we need the full power of Kubernetes. This can't be changed in any way. And so it was very important. We made a lot of changes. We kind of figured out how can we package all the power of Kubernetes with that, you know, but in this smaller, simpler way. So very much K3S is not a fork. We do modify some things for packaging needs, but there's no fundamental functionality has changed. But we have to realize what K3S is, is it's a distribution of Kubernetes. And I I really think the industry and the ecosystem's view on a distribution is fairly myopic right now of like, oh, a distribution is just, you know, the upstream binaries. I just, you know, the distribution today is almost more of an installer. It's like, how do I get the upstream binaries onto a host? And that's not what K3S is. It is like a distribution more like Debian is a distribution of Linux. It's like, it includes the course Kubernetes, but Kubernetes itself does not have a lot of components to make it a fully functioning cluster. You're missing things like ingress, a service load balancing solution, a storage solution, network policy. Like, I mean, there's really quite a few components you need to add on top. And so what K3S is, is a very nice, concise package of a lot of components to make a fully functioning cluster, but specifically targeted towards edge, low resource like resource-constrained environments. So, you know, so it's the full power of Kubernetes, but the components and the choices, like choices and how it's packaged, what the defaults are, all kind of go towards our use case of Edge. And so, you know, where is it not the best thing? Well, it's kind of, if you're looking at cloud data center, there's better distributions for those. So those things, you know, it makes a lot more sense to be running you know, EKS if you're in Amazon, for example. Um, so primarily where you're going to see K3S is going to be lacking is cloud provider integration and cloud storage integration too. Like we only support CSI out of tree drivers. So a lot of kind of the kind of the legacy storage drivers that were in Kubernetes, we don't support. You know, so having said that though, like people have actually found a lot of use cases for running K3S even in the cloud, but they're more of like different use cases, like application-based clusters, like a cluster dedicated just to an application. So the, the, it's kind of the use cases of it have expanded. But yeah, so that's that's kind of the, so the fundamental, you know, difference or thing about 
K3S is it's really it is it is a distribution, and I really do kind of think we're on like the forefront of what a Kubernetes distribution is and what that really means. And we are the first distribution to be accepted into CNCF. I just had a quick follow-up question there because taking that Linux analogy that K3S is like a distribution of Kubernetes, like Debian is a distribution of Linux. Mm-hmm. Would you consider K3S like the unikernel of Kubernetes? Well, no, I mean, I really think it's it's much closer towards, you know, it's more like the Debian or Ubuntu of Kubernetes, because I really think what Kubernetes is right now, it's really it's just the core, just the same as Linux is really just the kernel. It's the core portion, but to make it fully functioning, you need all this stuff around it. And, and the evolution of Linux, Linux distributions was very similar. In the very early days, it was mostly, well, here's the kernel and a little bit of user space, but it was mostly just getting the kernel. And then over time, distributions took on a personality, you know, it's like Ubuntu became very user focused or, you know, Fedora was bleeding edge, you know, uh, technology, Linux tech, you know, or, you know, Gentoo or, you know, it's like they, so there was distributions for different needs. And, and so that's what I see K3S right now is it's like, we're packaging up a lot of components for a very specific need and it's very targeted. And, and this is also why I think K3S being accepted to CNCF as a distribution, why it really made sense is because K3S is not just generic Kubernetes. We're not just giving Kubernetes. We are tailoring it towards a specific use case. And as we work in the kind of the edge, the kind of the edge world, we're seeing more and more that the style and how we use this is just drastically different from the cloud data center kind of approach. I was very curious about this increasing use of edge Kubernetes on the edge. Now, I know it's been a story since the early days of Kubernetes. I think Chick-fil-A was using it. But uh, when we talked with you a bit earlier, uh, previous to KubeCon, your guys were mentioning that that this is kind of a new center of gravity. You're actually seeing more work at the edge than in, in the data center. Uh, what, what, how do you account for this uh, change in, in sudden popularity of uh, Kubernetes and K3S at the edge. Yeah, I, I think basically what we're seeing is just that there's a need to run more complicated software at the edge. You know, so there's, you know, the Chick-fil-A is a, is a great use case. That was one of the very early ones where, you know, they're a, they're a fast food restaurant, but just the needs of a fast food restaurant have gotten so much more sophisticated. And so before you know, you would run, I mean, fairly simple applications, like, you know, point of sale device, you know, running some like e-com station or something like that. Um, But now it's like people are trying to deploy fairly complicated software like Kafka and whatnot on the edge. And so the, (laughs) the, the demands, like, it seems almost silly, but like, but the point is, is like, they're trying to leverage all of the ecosystem and all the tooling and the open source world and all these different components. So, you know, they're able to deploy more complex software, but the demands of deploying that software have gotten more complicated. So they need a better technology to be able to do this. So that's, it's almost a, a factor of, I guess, more more cheap computing and more yeah. cheap networking at the edge. It can more ability to do things, and then with that comes complexity. Yeah, and, and that's what we're seeing, too, is that, you know, the, the devices on the edge, you know, because what K3S is targeting is not little tiny IoT devices. We're, 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 they're fairly <laughs> powerful small ARM devices. So we really started about a gigabyte of memory, like kind of like your Raspberry Pi 4 and up. But we see, actually, like Intel Nook is an extremely popular use case, like in, in uh, retail and and stuff like that. So these are very powerful devices, and there's a fundamental issue with running everything in the cloud, which is just moving data around. Is like if I'm going to be doing like a lot of AI, you know, or ML type things. You know, it's like video processing is very common. You know, I'm monitoring something in you know my factory or something like that. Um, 
you can't be streaming all that data back to the cloud processing and pushing back down. You want to do this all at the edge. And things like GPUs and, you know, the, the power we have is just so much now that it just makes a lot of sense that, you know, to push all this software out. So, yeah, so we're just seeing this 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 explosion in this use case. Was that sort of your biggest takeaway from KubeCon EU? I mean, there was a lot of attention put on K3S and on, on edge computing in general there. Do you have a sort of a main takeaway? Well, my my biggest takeaway is honestly that virtual conferences are really a struggle. <laughs> so, you know, the, the the personal aspect was very difficult. So my takeaway from KubeCon was really like, I was amazed at the use cases of, of K3S and, and things like that. I don't know if that's a little self-serving and because, you know, I'm kind of stuck in my own little bubble, but like the amount of, you know, input and feedback and people we talked to about K3S was just amazing. I'm blown away at how many people are using it in every various possible use case you can think of. Um, you know, I, I just kind of joke, it's like basically any type of moving vehicle, it has been put on, you know, it's like a plane or a train or a tank. It's like all these things. It's like, it's it's just amazing. So you hit a, a recent uh, Twitter thread that uh, got quite a lot of um, interest from people. You were responding to a Red Hat uh, sponsored article on uh, the news stack about operators. Um, and apparently you're you're not a big fan of operators. Why do you think they're overkill? Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to say. Like it's not that I'm not a big fan of operators. It's the it's the use case and the applicability. But first, you have to say you know what is an operator. That's a very messy topic, and it's not very because there's basically the operator, the original idea that kind of CoreOS put forward, and then there's the framework, and then there's kind of the marketing around that. And so in general, it is not clear to many people what an operator is what they're really embarking on when, like, we get this a lot where people are saying, I want support for operators. And it's like, well, okay, what exactly do you mean? So so, the, so it's a very muddy topic. And so that's a lot where the frustration comes from is it's not very clearly defined what exactly it is. But if I go towards what I think, you know, my understanding of what an operator is or should be is is this idea of taking operational logic, like how to maintain an application and then putting that into code and then using that to then deploy and orchestrate an application and expose it in a reusable fashion, like a reusable unit. So you're kind of putting a, you know, a, an operator, like a human operator like idea into, into a component. So if you think about that use case, that is extremely advanced. You know, it makes a lot of sense if you're writing a persistent system. That's why you see most of the operators are around orchestrating things like MySQL and Postgres. And that makes a lot of sense for persistent systems. But if I just look across the board, how many people are creating persistent systems? In our little Silicon Valley bubble, like maybe, you know, we disproportionately create complicated systems. But if you go outside of that, most people's applications can build on the existing primitives of Kubernetes quite well. So my my thing with operators is I don't see this as a general solution that this is kind of kind of encompass the way you're going to describe kind of how you're doing everything in your organization. And so I get frustrated when I see people push, pushing operators as this kind of this like big hammer of this is how you're going to solve everything because it's very advanced and, and it's very immature too. So I, I question a lot of the applicability of the operators. Okay. And um, just in terms of the operators framework, that, that was actually con, uh, shared with the CNCF by Red Hat. Do you think it's the concept is still a little bit too Red Hat centric? You know, it's like, it's clearly a Red Hat project and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, Red Hat created it. It's a Red Hat project. So there's nothing, you know, fundamentally wrong with the idea of saying it's Red Hat centric. What I would say I have issue with is the parts where I see it's confusing or unnecessarily fragmented in the market. And that's when you start getting into like operator hub. It's just like 
Operator hub really confuses people when you start comparing operator hub versus home hub. Well, what should I be looking towards? What is my mechanism? Because the framework, what it's done is you can package Helm charts as an operator. You can package Ansible scripts as an operator. So it, it really confuses people of like, well, should I start packaging all my applications that way? And then you start seeing these articles of like comparing Helm versus operator, which from a technical perspective, that comparison makes no sense whatsoever. But it's a very good discussion to have because people are confused. They don't get the difference between those two technologies and how they relate. And so I would say it's like, I don't have a problem with it being too Red Hat centric, but like they're that the entire solution they've put forward, I think it's not exactly helping, you know, holistically the, the kind of ecosystem and getting people understanding kind of all these these little moving parts of the Kubernetes ecosystem. So how can, uh, you had mentioned something about GitOps being mm -hmm. a, uh, I guess, can address some of these issues. Can you talk about uh, maybe how GitOps can address the issues that perhaps people think operators would uh, be able to do? So this is the kind of the, because I had put this on Twitter, I was saying, you know, don't, don't spend time on operators, look at GitOps. And so somebody very uh, rightfully pointed out, well, that's not an and or an or, those that's apples and oranges. And that's kind of the point is it's not the same thing at all. The problem is, is most of the time when people are looking at operators, they're thinking like, hey, I want to write an operator. You most likely have a configuration management problem. You don't have a, I need to encode oper complex operational logic in Go code or complex Ansible scripts. It's you actually really have a, a configuration management problem. So huh. this is more of where is your time best spent right now? You know, your limited IT resources time, which, you know, costs a lot of money. And so it's kind of focus on GitOps. You're going to get a lot more bang for your buck out of GitOps and figuring out a sane pattern to configuration management of Kubernetes. And because, you know, that's effectively what I'm seeing right now is, is there's a lot of fancy concepts and ideas of like operators and let's say like, um, the GCL, the Google configuration language, and and new paradigms of how we can be, you know, writing code to interact with Kubernetes. And, and honestly, I think it's all largely a distraction for most people. You have a configuration management problem. Just solve that and get some sanity around how you're controlling your deployments. Nice. So we heard you're working on Rancher 2.5. <laughs> can you give us a preview? What should we expect from the release? Yeah, you know, so Rancher 2.5 is really a, a release that I'm quite proud of where we're heading with this you know rancher 2.0 was released i don't know maybe it was almost two years ago it was, seems uh quite a while at this point and that was our major shift to fully focusing on kubernetes and 2.5 to me is like it is a refinement of the patterns and approaches that we have learned over the you know all this time and so 2.5 to me is is we are focusing in on a couple technologies that we think are very important, very fundamental in controlling deployments kind of at large scale. And this is primarily everything is a Helm chart in, in 2.5. We've really, really doubled down on Helm. We've seen the traction on it. You know, it's an imperfect technology like everything is, um, but it's, it's good enough and we feel this is a strategic, very important way to go. So we're very focused on packaging. Everything is at Helm, making everyone kind of successful with, with, with Helm, even if you um, don't write Helm charts. There's, there's some interesting strategy we're doing there. The second thing is we're very focused on GitOps because, again, this came from our focus on the edge because of K3S and the, and the edge. How do I manage, like most organizations right now are dealing with maybe 100 or so clusters. But as soon as we move to the edge, we're starting at thousands. 
how do I go past that? How do I go to millions? Like that's where we really see this going is we can put K3, you know, K3S on so many devices. And so we're seeing GitOps, the style of GitOps, how that's done is really going to enable that. But there's still a lot of issues with GitOps. And so we're focusing on that of how do I actually run GitOps at scale? And that's specifically what the fleet project is, which is something we announced earlier this year. And so it's one of the major things of 2.5 is it's going to be that fleet will be like kind of a, a fully functioning built-in p- portion of Rancher. Sounds like configuration management is a real pain point for a lot of people then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for being on the show this week with us, Darren. It was really great to talk to you. Great to get your viewpoints and some of these issues that we've been talking around a lot lately since KubeCon. So thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thank you. That was fun. Yeah, thanks. Good stuff. So Alex, what's your podcast of the week for us this week? Why Kubernetes needs to be Dumbed Down for DevOps is our podcast of the week. In this podcast, I had the chance to talk with Johnny Kiram, MSV, our all-star analyst who knows more about Kubernetes and how it works, the way people are using it, than just about anyone I know. In his words, Developers still have to learn a lot with Kubernetes. Red Hat has done a good job focusing on the developer experience, and it's been that way for them since the start. But now we're entering a time where still there is a lot to be learned from the developer experience itself. Let's hear what Johnny has to say. The, the developer persona doesn't appreciate the Kubernetes workflow because they're they're not used to it. Now, uh, luckily, you know there is uh, there is some work that is being done in this space. And again, one of my favorite projects is the open application model uh, that is that has gained a lot of uh, attention and momentum uh, since we last spoke in San Diego. So open application model is a joint collaboration. It's an effort coming from Alibaba and Microsoft, and uh, it has gained a lot of attention. Uh, and particularly uh, some of the open source projects like Crossplane, uh, which is building a cloud native layer for traditional resources, even that is embracing um, OM, which is open application model. And open application model uh, hides the uh, nuts and bolts of Kubernetes and exposes what is what is required for the developer. And, and that is the uh, 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 step in the right direction. And eventually, when OM is uh, uh, accepted by the larger ecosystem, particularly the platform vendors, it has a potential to simplify it for developer. And then one of my other favorite projects, um, in, in, again, uh, instantly from Microsoft, is Dapper, Distributed Application Runtime. It is not so much to do with Kubernetes, but it does uh, uh, simplify a lot of uh, mundane tasks that the developer has to implement. Uh, and and uh, so to call out, you know, we we still don't have an open shift in the in the Kubernetes world. It is still an open shift, which is promising full-blown, full-fledged pass for developers. Then we have a couple of projects that are moving in the right direction, particularly open up application model and uh, distributed application runtime. Uh, and and, and uh, you know, we, we need to simplify this. So, so that, is, that is where we are in terms of the developer experience and what is lacking in the, in the cloud native ecosystem. You can't just take code and make it a link with Kubernetes and you know, the developer's persona does not exactly fit the workflow because users don't understand the workflow. We're seeing the 
rise of new ways of abstraction that will inevitably change this. I think one of the key parts of this discussion is what Johnny has to say about GitOps. Now, GitOps gets a lot of attention, and it's been a valuable way to approach how teams think about continuous delivery, for instance. But there's still a lot of complexity there that developers have to think about just independent of GitOps. For instance, the specs. How do you think about the specs that sit inside a GitOps environment? That's my podcast of the week. Thanks for listening. You really zeroed in on developer experience this week, too. It's a nice theme for this episode. Richard, what uh, story would you like to highlight for us this week? I would like to highlight a story recently contributed by Gremlin, uh, which is a new sponsor at the new stack. They are a platform for chaos engineering and testing for failure. And their, their article was called Chaos Engineering is now part of the AWS Well-Architected Framework. And they talked about how over the summer, Amazon Web Services announced its eighth upgrade to its Well-Architected Framework, the WAF, which is a set of best practices for anyone architecting high-performing, resilient, and efficient cloud infrastructure and applications. And the framework has five pillars, one of which is reliability. Uh, the authors of the WAF have named Chaos Engineering as now being a requirement for a reliable system. And chaos engineering is quite a, a back history with Netflix and Amazon itself, in fact, and in terms of how to build and test complex distributed cloud systems. And Gremlin's founders are, have a history at Amazon and Netflix, and so they have a lot invested in um, what chaos engineering provides. So I thought it was a really good article and really good look at the space and the fact that, you know, distributed computing can be extremely complex. So it's important to test for failure for uh, launching uh, applications. So it's a good read. Nice. Thanks. I know we've seen chaos engineering evolve from sort of a fringe practice to now uh, AWS promoting it as, as an essential practice. So that's a good article. Joe, what else do we have on the site? All right. Uh, we got a lot of good stuff on the uh, newstack.io this week. One is uh, some news about uh, advancements that have been done within the Linux kernel to better support containers. This is through version two of the C group. This is, stands for control group. And it's a means to manage how much uh, computational resources that is used by a set of processes, i.e. a container. Now, uh, like I said, Google had first created this, and uh, it allows you to do stuff like isolate core workloads from background tasks, uh, prevent one workload from uh, using up all the resources, that sort of thing. The version two of C groups, which Google had released, and uh, has been in the Linux kernel since at least version 4.5, uh, offers a little bit more um, uh, capability specifically for containers. Uh, one of the main things is those rootless containers, and this is a very popular means to uh, prevent runtime vulnerabilities in containers. Another one is memory protection has been made a lot easier. You can now mark memory that can never be re reclaimed by another process or below a certain threshold it can be reclaimed or there's other, other sorts of interesting options. So uh, it's interesting to see how um, the Linux kernel is evolving to meet uh, the needs of uh, containers. Yeah, nice. Secondly, uh, we're, we're really low in the stack with that one, so we're going to move up the stack with... Uh, 
Uh, we have a, a piece, a leftover piece from uh, CloudCubeCon EU about the open application model. This is something that was done by uh, Microsoft in Alabama. Actually, it's not so much about OAM specifically, but why we actually need a unified application model. This was a talk given by uh, uh, some folks, uh, Phil uh, Prezek, over at uh, Upbound and uh, Microsoft as well. And and we, we've done some pieces on OAM before, but this, uh, he really made a good use case. It's We actually need a, a uh, application model of some sort, be it OAM or another, uh, as it would be a final piece needed to run a seamless deployment model. The, uh, uh, I guess the holy grail of, uh, of connecting the developer to production. So whatever a developer produces on the laptop will run in production uh, seamlessly without any, any, like I said, the configuration headaches that often come. And uh, you know, operators uh, were a step in this right direction, but Prezek mentions that they just weren't, um, they're still too, a little bit too low level. They uh, uh, allow you to define how a complex application can be rendered in a cluster automatically, but we need something even easier. We need something that basically would allow the administrator to set up a uh, self-service portal for the developer in a way that if they need a Redis database, then boom, they can acquisition one, just hit a click of a button, and if they need... Uh, uh, you know, uh, Nginx uh, as an ingress, boom, hit another button, and then that'll allow them to put their stuff together and then ship it over to production easily. It's an alluring uh, vision, and the demonstration in the show was using cross-plane, which is a bounds con control plane management tool to show how this could be done. So some interesting uh, talk at uh, KubeCon about the uh, application management and, you know, configuration handling the configuration so it can be uh, managed by Kubernetes. It really is a theme for us today then, isn't it? It certainly seems to be going in that direction, yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks again for joining us on the show today, Job and Richard. And thank you again for listening. We'll, we'll see you next week on Context. Listen to more episodes of the Newstack Context at thenewstack.io slash podcasts. Please rate and review us on iTunes, like us on YouTube, and follow us on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.